Welcome to Slay, the podcast where we dive into all aspects of health and fitness. I'm your host, Louise Hazel, and today I'm joined by one of the most determined people I know. She's a five-time Olympian, the most dominant snowcross rider of all time. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, one-time Olympic silver medalist, six-time world champion, and 10 times X Games gold medalist, and the most decorated snowboarder in history. It's the unstoppable Lindsay Jacobellis. Lindsay! Louise, thank you so much for having me today, and it's been wonderful catching up with you. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Like, I literally haven't seen you since the Olympics. Like, I'm so proud of you. Like, I'm so, so proud. Like, I know this journey hasn't always been easy, has it, for you? It definitely hasn't. There's been the ups and downs. There's not only the losses and having to have those growth moments from deep within to really face what you're really trying to accomplish. And then you have your injuries, which any athlete knows and how hard that is to come back from. So it's really having those reflections, looking deep within, having your, you know, team very close to you, your friends and your family helping and supporting you to get you through that. But this was by far a journey I did not see mm. lasting as long as it did. I never planned for it. I never planned to even be going to the Olympics. It was always this wonderful idea when I was young, like, oh, my God, what if I went to the Olympics? But what sport? I don't know. I, I did a bunch of sports growing up. But that idea, just being like, oh, my gosh, you walked in with Team USA and you were in the Olympics? Like, that's, that's incredible. pretty freaking cool. So it kind of caught me by surprise finally making it to the Olympics and how my sport became an Olympic sport was just not planned. Mm. So it's just kind of full adapt and pivot, which is 100% what border cross is. Absolutely. Now for those people at home that don't know what border cross is, give us a breakdown. So border cross is a series of races where you take your top 16 ladies and top 32 men and you put them into brackets of four or six, depending on the venue. Sometimes we have bigger uh, slopes to work with and we can have six people racing at a time. So that's a whole nother game. Um, and the top two advance to the next round. So you have your brackets that break you down to your final four racing for first, second and third. Now, I don't think I've told you this, but I've actually raced um, the border cross before um, on a television show in Great Britain um, <laughs> called The Jump. And to stay in the competition, we had to do a ski jump. Can you believe that? Um, but that's for another day. I can't wait to share with you my technique and my videos. Yeah, but I know you killed it. And I know you're oh. going to face it. And you're like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to do it because I know that's your attitude. <laughs> I might have gone for it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and talking of going for it, um, I think you possibly have one of the most inspirational stories in in sport um that perhaps you know the general public aren't yet aware of but they they will be soon I'm, I'm sure about that now um I want to take you back to I think which is probably one of the most pivotal moments for you in your career to Turin the 2006 Olympics your first Olympic Games um we watched the race today in the gym and I'll break it down for you and then I want you to break it down as well so your you know, you, you set out of the gates. Tell us what happened next. There's four of you in the race. I think three Canadians, possibly. Two, uh, it was two Canadians and uh, Swiss. Yeah, that's uh, Tony right. Creedon, Dominique Maltez, and um, Dom, or sorry, Maya Ricker. 
Mm-hmm. And it actually was considered a perfect final because we were the top four seeds. So everyone takes a time trial lap on the course by themselves. Nobody's there. You're just going top to bottom to find out who is the fastest. And we go through and you get your top 16 ladies. And that's how you build your brackets. Yeah. So this was a perfect final because all top seeds made it to the final. Which is quite rare, right? It is rare. Because, because so many things can happen. Exactly. Um, in the border cross, for those people aren't, aren't um, aware, you know, the, the um, course banks up, there are jumps, there are so many things that, that could throw you off. But break down for me, talk me through the race. Well, a little background on that day. It's not normal that we do time trials and race all in one day. That was definitely an Olympic change up because they didn't want to be breaking up and having, you know, our event take up two days. Right. They got to cram it all into one. Wow. Also. Was that a surprise to you in this particular competition or did you know it was coming before? We knew it was coming, but it's not necessarily something that we're accustomed to. Fully prepared to it and it it drains you in a different way. Yeah. Um, Now we see every Olympic cycle is like that. Um, but never any of the World Cup races still to this day, mm-hmm. unless we're trying to sneak in a double header, which makes it in just such a draining day. Maybe the young yeah. guns have no problem doing it, but I'll tell you, it it wears, wears me. Absolutely. Um, but also prior that evening, it started nuking. There's so much new snow. I was going to say, what's, what's no, nuking? Sorry. I'm nuking. off on my lingo. Side yeah. note, nuking in snow world is a lot of snow. So lots of fresh pow pow. So Yes. <laughs> so if you are a free rider, a free skier, you love all the fresh new snow. You want to be the first up on the mountain to experience all those fresh tracks. On a border cross course, on a downhill ski race, there's... Those are not ideal conditions. It's hard to see, and all that mm. extra snow on top, it just completely covers all of those blue blue dyeing lines that help us with definition, mm-hmm. and it becomes also a lot slower. Mm. So the speed you would necessarily need to clear certain features... Yep, like the jumps. ...are, are going to be drastically different. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't, we were supposed to have a snow seed. We didn't have a snow seed. They called it right before. So some of the top athletes didn't even qualify into the time trial rounds, mm. which uh, that right then and there, that ended yeah. their Olympic moment. Yeah. They were done. And that's pretty upsetting for those athletes yeah. because they've trained their whole life for that. Mm. So Lindsay, you set off out the gate and there's three people next to you. Do you feel like you got the best start? What, how? T- talk me through step by step of the race. Um, well, it's been a minute since I've <laughs> watched it, but from best memory, and I do break this down really well in the book because I did have to watch the race, and this was the first time I had actually watched my race. How many times have you watched it? Well, only now a couple of times to only write that scene to really give a good indication of what was actually happening on the course. So. Mm-hmm. As best as I can remember, not reading it from the book, you know, I did have a relatively good pull out of the gate, but I was able to generate some feature uh, features right out of the start and get a good, um, good momentum going into the first turn and establish a lead. Now, this is a very long course, and this was now probably upwards of seven runs on this course, top to bottom, and your legs definitely start to feel it. It's definitely very fatiguing to go back to back to back and working my way down, you know, 
I could hear the ladies behind me and trying to just give my best going down. And as I got down to the bottom, I, I ultimately, I, I didn't really remember where I was, but I'm getting excited because I know I'm getting close to the finish. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, I just decide to like, just do a grab. Mm-hmm. I went through so much therapy trying to understand what's the deep reason why I did the grab. Was mm-hmm. I trying to be a rebel? Was I trying to, like, I couldn't really figure out what it ultimately was. Mm-hmm. I eventually decided with my therapist that it was just this weird, fluky, like mistake this bad wiring scenario that just kind of like went off in my brain that I just got caught up in the moment that I was snowboarding and having fun realizing that the end of all this stress and this buildup was Mm. almost almost over could you see the finish line I couldn't see the finish line then because of the takeoff um but I knew like when I was in the air I kind of felt oh this this doesn't feel right. Mm. And knowing when I landed, I was like, I am so off balance and I don't know how this is going to happen and how I'm going to pull myself out of this Mm -hmm. and falling. And then when I hit the ground, the back, it was my back to the ground. I had that like flash moment that was like, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. Like, this is not me. This is not, I've always been, you know, fire away down to the finish. Like i it was this moment that I was having this internal celebration. It just kind of came out accidentally that I was having so much fun snowboarding because snowboarding is in itself just so much fun. It is this sport that you can express yourself and it was just such a weird thing. And today, still today, I don't know what I was thinking and I'm just, Mm. I'm wondering if it's just that like immature mind and yeah so ultimately you crashed you got back up on your feet immediately and only in fact two of the other girls had already crashed out in the race leading one other competitor who we see in the video comes past you what are you thinking at that moment and I hadn't even known that those other girls had gone down we all these girls were you know getting hung up Dominique I believe almost you know clipped with me or Tanya was almost clipping with me if you look back, but there Mm -hmm. was just, you could see the fatigue was happening in, in everyone. Mm -hmm. And when I got up and I crossed the finish line, I'm still baffled with myself and not understanding what did I just do Mm -hmm. and what prompted that? I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't understand because it was definitely not this showboating that I was showing off in any way or trying to disrespect or shove it in anyone's face. That is not the kind of individual I am. Mm. That's not the person I am. It was just all of a sudden I had this like slip of excitement at the wrong time. Yeah. And ultimately you came away with the silver medal and the girl behind you who was far behind and I watched the video today and I'd seen it before in the past and I felt so emotional for you because I know how that story has come full circle and um, you know ultimately you took home the silver with the girl behind you taking gold and you said the word showboating there like you know showing off rather how does it feel as an athlete to already 
be disappointed perhaps in your own performance and what's just happened to then have to deal with the perceptions of others and their perception of what happened how did that idea of you showing off come about do you know who it was who mentioned that first was it a media outlet was it a coach it was definitely the media is where that was starting to spin out because as soon as I fell and I knew I wasn't winning I was already tearing myself apart because I I knew I made a mistake and I'm a highly competitive person as you are and Anytime you are doing your sport, you are dissecting it in every way to be like, how am I doing this better next time? Mm -hmm. what, do, what do I need to do? And, you know, at that time, at that moment, maybe I just had that slip that it's like, I'm, I, I can't dissect myself in that way. Mm -hmm. And it, it took so many years to have that growth and to move on from having all the people criticize me. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was it was really challenging because it then set a certain value on myself. And every time the Olympics came up, they'd always harp on that and bring that back and never really see how I was making these great strides within myself and the sport because they kept just dragging me back to this moment, mm -hmm. forcing me to relive this moment instead mm -hmm. of allowing me to grow. And it took a long time for me to see that that was the pattern that was happening. Mm. And then I was trying to find the appropriate match for guidance so I could figure out how I could make this sustainable direction and this path mm. to finally accepting what I did, being okay with what I did. Mm. And ultimately, even if I didn't win, that that would be okay. And that took friends that took coaches that took you know my my mental coach and that took a lot of growth because it, as you know it took 16 years mm -hmm. but even going into 2022 I had to be okay with the fact that if I didn't win mm. I would be okay mm -hmm. and even in the gate in finals when I'm up and the camera's right in my face and I'm trying to just be like, I'm not engaging with the camera. And then mm -hmm. there was just that moment like, you know what? I'll smile to the camera. I'll wave. I'm a five-time Olympian. I've accomplished. I've done something right. And I'm in that top four. So right now, I've done my best. And in, at the end of the day, it might be my day, but it might also not be my day. And mm. I'm okay with that. How old were you in 2006 when Interim? Because that would have been, what, 16 years ago? I think it was 19 or 20. Yeah. You know, you're about to embark on your um, book tour for Unforgiving. But my question is, who or what was unforgiving in terms of your story? I was unforgiving to myself. Mm -hmm. I believe the media was a little unforgiving to me. They were pretty harsh and every time I felt like I was making strides to be better and I was on a roll and especially in a buildup of an Olympic tour mm -hmm. and getting ready to be on that stage then all of a sudden somebody brings you back to that moment yeah and you're like why are we harping on this yeah. that would be if like you know you're winning all of your races you're you're racing the best you possibly can mm -hmm. and all of your combos and everything and you're killing it with shot put and javelin all that and then someone's like oh remember when you showed up and you didn't realize you had a broken javelin and then you threw with the broken javelin and they constantly reminded you yeah. of it like there's you know the the thing that's 
completely baffling to me is the fact that that would that story and that narrative would, narrative would continue to follow you for all of these years um you know pure and simply because at 19 wow like i would give anything to go back to being 19 really? again a 19 year old athlete honestly <laughs> because what you know when you look back you you know now that you have the whole your whole life ahead of you mm -hmm. so for the media to kind of tarnish you with that kind of sticker and that kind of label, knowing full well that you're a young athlete and, you know, young young people every day, we make so many mistakes and, you know what I mean, we fuck up all the time. So stands to reason that this is recoverable. And I was never given that because as soon as I was still making those strides and having wins and being successful on the World Cup tour, they keep bringing that back. So mm -hmm. I was constantly in this cycle of why is it never enough? Mm. And it really messed with my value and how I viewed myself. And so every time I was going for another race, I had to win. I had to keep proving to myself. And that is so fatiguing. That is not only mentally, but it's physically fatiguing mm -hmm. to keep that. And it's not sustainable. So, But you did go on to win six world championships. 10 X Games <laughs> gold medalist. So there's something within you that responded and responded positively to that, no? Yes and no, because I ultimately, at the bottom of my heart, love this sport and I love that it constantly challenges me. And I was also doing it with my brother and a lot of my close teammates that knew me from a very, very young age. So it always felt like I had just had a slew of older brothers. Mm -hmm. They were never letting me get away with anything. And they're like, no, just do it. You're fine. You'll be fine. Just follow us. Or we're free riding. Drop this cliff. You're going to be fine. Like, don't, don't talk back to us. We're your older brother. Just do it. Kind of mentality. Um, and I ultimately loved when those feelings, when I would win, and I wanted it again because that was just starting to help reinforce that self-doubt. And I'd have this great momentum and stride. And then, as you know, Olympic comes around, you have to put on your media outfit, mm -hmm. and then you have to go face the wolves. And they're just going to ask you the questions mm -hmm. that you know inevitably that will come up. Mm -hmm. And using that like wall and defense to how to deflect certain questions you know, it sounds poised, it's, it has a great delivery, but it also takes energy away from you. Mm. You know the questions are coming, you know the emotional reaction, you know how it's going to feel internally, but it still drains you. Mm. And so I was getting drained always mm -hmm. so badly right before Olympics. I was going to say, there were six world championship wins, 10 X Games wins. Do you feel like you developed an emotional block when it came to the Olympic Games? I, th I think there was definitely some of that emotional block, but then there was also just like bad luck sometimes. And that's how also my sport is. And if you even see how I was kind of finishing within my Olympics over those five years, I was always in the mix. Mm -hmm. I was always the a contender. And it was just how the chips fell at that particular time. It could have easily gone that way in 2000. 22 in Beijing mm -hmm. and the chips might have not fallen and the stars might not have aligned for me in that moment in that final mm. or in the semifinal which was extremely hard to get into so you know it's the sport I feel 
can be unforgiving. I was unforgiving to myself and, and the media was definitely unforgiving. So it took a lot for my personal growth to see that from all different angles mm. to then figure out how to grow. Was there anything, um, was there one thing in terms of your personal growth that you felt helped you break through that? Hmm. I would say I ultimately had to be okay with, you know, not winning every race. I had to then bring that to reality that, you know, I know I have the ability to win every race does not mean I'm going to win every race. That must have been very hard for you, Lindsay. It was, it <laughs> was Louise. I'm glad, I'm glad you recognize that. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine, and I'll tell you why later. Um, you talked about the stars aligning. Now, am I right in thinking 2018 was Sochi? Yeah, mm, that was that was 14, Sochi. Sochi. Korea was 18. Korea, that's right. So Korea was 18. Am I right in thinking that you brought a dog home with you from Korea? I brought a dog home from Sochi. Sochi. And that was actually the character base for my children's book that I wrote during uh, the shutdown. Got you. So that would have been 2014? That was in 2014, but I had that story pretty much all put together, but I didn't know anything about pub publishing books or how to find an illustrator. So I'm like, okay, like so many other <laughs> projects we have in our life, that fell to the back burner and just lived within my, you know, Google Docs. So yeah. I was like, oh, maybe so, I'll get to this one day when I have time. But I love it. When everything got shut down, I was like, maybe I'll look around and yeah. see what this is all about and see if I can do this. So for those of you that don't know, um, Lindsay actually brought home a stray dog from the Olympic Games in 2014 in Sochi. Yep. Um, I've got a question for you though. So you brought home a dog from the 2014 Olympic go Games and you brought home two gold medals from the 2022 Olympic Games. Which one is closer to your heart? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sochi was a very memorable moment. There was a lot of growth um, just looking back on that games, I had uh, two knee surgeries that I was coming back from mm -hmm. and started to just get my stride back in that moment. And What were the knee surgeries? So I, I tore my ACL in January of 2012 at X Games during training. I, I overshot the jump during testing day completely overshot that is like an understatement to just overshoot I completely overshot and I heard mm -hmm. the pop so I needed to get surgery I got surgery right away and there was some fluky thing that happened that my graft did not take mm. and I had to do the surgery all over again mm. because the doctor was saying you know you can live with this most people can live with this type of play but there's a different thing between living with it and being able to compete on and it. execute and be within that one percent and 100%. I told I told him and he was like I I totally agree like let's let's redo this so it was a quick swap of uh you know swapped out cadaver I did hamstring first but then we tried cadaver and then there were studies that were coming out that um if when you were super hyper mobile that maybe your hamstring wasn't the ideal and I was like oh too late <laughs> when you mean you tried cadaver what does that mean a cadaver um, would be when someone passes on and they give their body to science and we can wow. take parts from them. Somebody offered me 
their ACL. And it has been living healthy and living on within me. So they have helped accomplish. I don't know who you are out there, but your spirit lives on. and Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's going okay right now. In a gold medalist, not yeah. another. That's amazing. Lindsay, 16 years later from your first Olympic Games and you find yourself on the start line of the 2022 Olympic snowboard cross final in Beijing. What the hell is going through your mind? This is five years, your fifth Olympic Games. It was actually a liberating moment because at that moment, I realized I had a 75% chance for a medal. Ooh. And that was a pretty incredible feeling considering how many rounds we went through because we added an extra round. We had 32 women in the bracket where normally we have just 16. So we had a full another round. We did time trials again all on that same day. We had an extra round and went all the way to finals. So I felt like it was just a battle right there that I won and I was so happy to share that stage and that moment with those three other ladies because we all work so hard to get there and it could be any one of us mm. that could take that moment and make it their own. Tell me about the race. So as I'm pulling, as you know, as I'm in the gate and I'm like, I've got a 75% chance, like this is great. like. And it's a long course. I'm great at drafting. Like, if I'm behind, I'll just try to pick them off one by one. Like, the I have a lot of skill sets that are strong in this particular venue. So I pull out of the gate, and I win the start, which is not normal for me because as a seasoned athlete, the repetitive bounding, high explosive, it becomes more challenging as you are older. So pulled out of the gate, and, you know, kind of in the mix, but really worked the top features well, and I was in the lead. And so I was like, oh my God, the, the percentage just totally changed. I could be winning this. And I'm like, oh, stay focused, stay focused. Um, basically talking to myself the entire way down. What are you saying? I'm basically telling myself the feature that I will be coming upon. That way I'm staying sharp, I'm staying focused and in the moment, and then I'm also trying to listen to where the ladies are behind me. Mm -hmm. because so a feature could be a bend, it could be a jump. Right, right. So coming out of turn one, um, you know, there was a double, but I was actually pumping it. So I'm like double pump into the next roller, then into the rollers and then the dish, then heading down to the step down and a jump. And now we're in the jump section. There's three more jumps and landing, you know, quick, quick touches and turn and okay, everyone's going to bunch up behind me out of turn three. We know this, this is the pattern. So it's going to sound like they're really loud right behind me, but don't panic. Just stay your line, stay defensive. And, you know, as I'm coming into that second to last turn and I was still holding the lead was like, oh, it's on because guess what? My favorite things are coming into the home what stretch. What was coming up? The, the, the roller sections. And it wasn't just like, big rollers it was the quick rollers so that, rollers you feel you kind of have to absorb the roller right yes. so it's like a lot of flexion a lot of like bringing almost the knees up to the chest am I right it's an entire experience. body movement it's fully extending your body up and then compressing down as fast as you can as you approach the apex of that roller and then as soon as you go down you are fully extending again and then bring yourself up so 
from a start gate when I'm just pulling up and I don't have momentum, that is a hard movement for me to do. But if I've been riding and we're coming down to the final stretches and I see those, mm-hmm. it's almost like I get that second it's almost wind. Like the body becomes an accordion, doesn't yes. it? Yes. It's nuts. Yes. Go on, take me through so, it. Going through that, I'm like, I do the rollers best in the business. I'm ripping through this. I'm not even feeling tired. Freaking well, that's, roller that's queen. That's what I was telling myself. <laughs> I'm not feeling tired. And then I'm like, and then you got the jump. And like you basically going into my tuck into the finish. I'm saying tuck in quotations because my legs were actually very tired. And I'm basically kind of just laying my chest over my knees and trying to stay as low and balanced as possible while I coast. And then you have to like push yourself up back off of your body. And I did that big toe side turn after I realized, oh my gosh, I did it. But I didn't want to immediately go to, you know, the the big wall of media and everyone down there and all the cameras I, I wanted to get away and I needed to have that moment where I could collect myself and understand really what happened I've got freaking goosebumps <laughs> um so it was it you know it was absolutely incredible it, I I can't really even explain it it's not that it was like oh that you won the Olympics it was that I never gave up on myself and that mm. I pushed myself mm. and I constantly, you know, had so many setbacks, injuries and mental, but I, I kept going. Mm. And that's, that's the message that I ultimately want for somebody to be taking from my book, whether they're off on a new endeavor or they've been, you know, in one for a while and they keep hitting walls and, you know, that's, that's the name of the game. That's what we're facing. And once I transition out of being an athlete, I'm ultimately starting from scratch and I'm going to have those same struggles again. So I'll have to reflect back on those moments. Keep grinding, keep going. Don't give up on yourself. Like let's, let's break it down and make it simple and let's create a structured plan. So Lindsay, we met on MTV's The Challenge. Um, you puked on my plate during the eating challenge. I literally remembered this literally this That's morning. How I won. And yeah, exactly. That's how I beat you in that. Yeah, and I kind of like eliminated myself because at that point I was like, I'm not, I'm not here for the stomach bile. And you and Camerion Wembley, former um, NFL player from the Raiders, went on to the final. Like first and foremost, day one of the challenge. What on earth were you thinking? I had no clue what I was getting myself into. Trying to cram a bunch of episodes and understand what this show was about because constantly traveling, I could never really watch consistent TV. So I was never really familiar. You'd kind of hear about what the challenge was always about. And it was always like these crazy, you know, physical challenges or mental or just a combination of the two. And I just love the fact that there was this setting being put together that it would be the blend of the former pros on it and then also blending with professional athletes and we were doing it for charity and yes there was that money on the line but you wanted to win that money to give it to your charity so it almost was like you were winning it in that sense but that you wanted to you wanted to be the one that your name was attached to it that you want it for your specific charity so that passion definitely resonated with me, 100%. And Do I know remember? for others, yeah. definitely as well. Who were you playing for? I was uh, ASPCA. Mm-hmm. I think Cara Marie was also yeah. doing ASPCA yes. as well. So when yeah. I got runner-up and she won with her partner, 
um, it was like we kind of both won. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, You know, the challenge is a a wacky, wacky television show. We were filming over the course of around about two weeks, wasn't it? I think. I would think it was 10 days, just straight up 10 days, shooting every day, and unless you were. Uh, if, unless you were knocked out. It but was so intense. It was high stakes, high intensity. And they have us up so early. Yeah. And then they have us staring at the apparatus. But while they're trying to hold, figure out where they're setting up the cameras, our mics, what we're doing. And the challenge, the previous challengers like knew exactly what it was when of they course. saw it. They're like, oh, we know how to do this. But we're sitting there like, what do you think it is? And the first couple of times I wasted so much energy. I don't know if you had this too, but I wasted so much energy trying to figure out what I was going to do. So by the time we actually got the rules, I was so fatigued. Yeah. And it was something completely (laughs) the opposite. It was completely wrong. It wasn't even close. So I, I learned a lot that day and not to hype myself up visually of what I was seeing until I got the rules. You know, because I just felt like it was me and my brother playing when we were little and he's constantly changing the rules. And I'm just like, I'm just going to wait. He's making it up as he goes along. He was, always. Pretty (laughs) much the same as the challenge then. (laughs) Um, So the interesting thing I thought about the, the whole event was... You know, we were split into two teams. It was like pros versus Joes, effectively professional athletes and then our challenge champions. Um, but I think it dawned on us very early, perhaps after the first event, when we kind of got played a little bit by the other team, that there was a lot more politics going on. Yes. And um, there were a couple of moments, I think, in the challenge that in the first season, because we I did two um, episodes or two mm-hmm. seasons and remind us who were on the cast. There was your, yourself, myself. We had Gus Kenworthy, Louis Vito, gosh, Louis Vito. Who else was on there? Sean Merriman, Camerion Wembley. Um, gosh. Yeah. We had the female basketball player. Oh, oh, oh. Her name I escapes pull, me. I need to pull up the, the cast. And <laughs> obviously Tia. Yes, and yeah. Tia was there. Um, and that was the first time I really met Tia. We just started having the same agent. So we're like, oh, cool, you're going to meet on the show. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so there was us thinking that we were all kind of competing against the other players. And that soon turned around and we realized we were actually competing against ourselves. And so every single time um, there was an elimination, we had to vote in one of our own to go into the elimination, mm-hmm. to fight off and fend off the MTV challengers who were the likes of CT, Wes, who else was there? Uh, Johnny was, Bananas. Johnny was Bananas there. was there. He went out early. Car, Car Maria, Camilla, Camilla um, Jordan Wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, what a rude awakening and, and what a come to Jesus, Jesus moment that was. That was the moment I think I realized that Wes was a real snake and that he was playing us. And once I realized that I couldn't trust him, I was like, oh, I see how this game is played. Absolutely. And then we had Lolo, Lolo Jones as well. Yes. Um, do you remember Limegate? Yes. <laughs> Can you break down what happened? <laughs> so I vaguely remember... So we had lost our first challenge. Therefore, um, I think it was the the climbing one, yes. right? That we had to get across yeah. to the safe platform. And we just had to, we all successfully made it across. I think only one of us fell. Yeah. Um, but we had to, I believe, put two people in to the, the challenge round so they could get themselves to come back. And um we try to be pretty political about it. We're like, let's make this fair. 
you know, why don't we just kind of draw straws? Yeah. And we wrote everyone's name on a lime and we put it into a bowl and you had to draw a name out. That's true. I don't know how we ended up with, I felt like there were two lines in the bowl. I think it was Lolo and Tia. And I think we came to the conclusion because I can't even remember how it, anyway, long story short, I remember I th- yeah, it was uh, yeah. Lolo and Tia in the, in the, in the bucket. Yeah, I, I can't fully remember, but I think we had to at least give, you know, one or two people, but we were really trying to just be, I think, fair when that, that we fought so long because inevitably the challenge and the setup and everything, nothing about it was fair, but we were trying to hold on to being like the good sports and we're going to do the right thing and we're going to be balanced. We're the Olympians. We're going to try to make like the best scene for the challenge and it all went. Tits up immediately. (laughs) Yeah. And so when you had to draw the limes out, (laughs) no one actually followed up to see the name on the line so it still comes down to you whether it was the name or not because you were so quick and then you dropped it down (laughs) you're like i'm taking the fifth on that one absolutely i think i pled the fifth we never quite ever found out whether um, the lime was truly lolo or truly tia and i can reveal to you today that you're still not going to find out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you thought you were so close. I know. <laughs> That's got to be your intro to this. We're talking with Lindsay Jacob Ellis, but is the Lime Gate exactly up? <laughs> I love <in> it. <laughs> but on you went, Lindsay, you know, right through to the final. And I, what I can remember, my memory of you, in, this was like our first encounter, very intense over that, you know, 10 day, two week period, was just what a beast you were. <laughs> like, I cannot describe to you how every single time, you know, the camera turned on and it was time to go. You were so locked in. It was literally like as if you were on the start line of every single race you'd ever been in. And, um, you know, as a competitor who's also competed at the world stage, it was fierce. And I was like, (laughs) real recognized, real game recognized game. This is a person I want to do life with. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, if there's someone that I'm going to put like my life in their hands, it's going to be Lindsay. Because you're that type of person that if, you know, you, if somehow you manage to get trapped under a bus, Lindsay would lift that bus. She'd lift that bus, move it out of the way, put you in the bus and drive you to the hospital. DIY. Absolutely. (laughs) And drive you to the hospital. Um, you know, there, it just dawned on me that, um, you know, that, that athlete that lives inside of you, I think we could see that in every single person, but there was just this fire and this determination and this fearlessness in you that was just so tangible and that I love being around. Like, I really enjoyed it because I was like, yeah, that's my dog right there. <laughs> I love that. And so, you know, I was so um, excited to know that we would finally come back together to be working with um, NASAM um, and in the world of fitness. So talk to me about that. You um, have a garage. It's set up, you know, to accommodate training. You've been personal training now for how long? And you're a qualified coach. So during the shutdown, I took the opportunity to go back to school and do the NASM training and get my certified personal trainer because that was potentially my fallback after the 22 Olympics. I Mm -hmm. told myself, you know, I'm going to give this 
100% all of my effort and focus. And once that's done, then it's time for me to start looking into the next venture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. And I felt personal training would be this easy transition because I'd been in fitness for decades and understanding, you know, what is required for an athlete or for someone that's trying to just live better day to day or be the recreational athlete. So during the shutdown, I was like, well, what a better time than any than just start studying and taking my test and getting certified. So it was pretty early on. And I ripped through that in like three months. And I think my kid, my, uh, uh, the guy at NASM was like, I'm so shocked you got through that. I was like, well, I kind of had the book a little beforehand and I was kind of <laughs> like thumbing through it. But now that it was actually reality, I kind of just took that intensity that you've always seen and didn't really take my head out of the book until it was accomplished. And then started building out my garage because all the gyms were shutting down, finding what I could on Facebook marketplace or, or whatever to fill the little random things that I would, would like or couldn't find to buy. And I just decided to do some personal training with everyone that was kind of within my complex that could walk to me, that we could be socially distancing and, and help me get that introduction to how I would be interacting with a client and how do we do goal setting and how we do the uh, official assessment tests in the beginning. So it just kind of helped me get my feet wet in that. So I've been dabbling with that and staying strong. But as you know, I'm still competing full time mm -hmm. and I've been writing this book. So yes, you have. I've been very busy in the last two years, mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely something I'm keeping up on my education. I'm looking into the women's health and fitness of all different stages of life because I feel it's been an avenue for decades that has been overlooked and mm. how women are so different and just need those little extra little tune-ups for different phases because mm. we are very unique in certain aspects and that's also a wonderful niche to know a lot about. And it's it's been a wonderful journey and I love learning and I love challenging myself. Mm. I constantly want to push myself and whatever situation I get into, I do put this intense pressure on myself because I never want to look back and say, I could have done that better. Mm -hmm. So I get the the lock-in moments where you see and like I can't turn that off. I have calmed that over the years. It was a little even more wily. Oh really? In my very <laughs> child young years, because because my brother would definitely poke the bear on that and try to get a whole different level out of me in competition. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an incredible stepping stone with knowledge and mm. it, you know, I love then listening to your podcast because I know exactly what you're talking about and I can back your yeah. knowledge and I can, you know, send my clients to you to be like, look at what she's talking about. You're hearing it from me. Like the, you're hearing this mm. same thing from another person. There is traction, there is knowledge, and there is science behind what these talking points are. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Absolutely. I was going to say, what of the, what have been the challenges that you found in working with, with female populations? I would say patterns? probably the biggest challenge um, when I'm working with women is them making themselves the priority. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, you know, they're married, they have children, they have careers as well, but 
they're, they're not actually putting themselves in that mix. They're taking care of the day-to-day and they have the roles and the parents have the roles and they are setting their, their kids up for success. But a lot of the times after we've done the assessment and after we are pretty much scheduling out and building what their workout program looks like, mm-hmm. I ask them, take me through a typical day. And a lot of the times... I don't hear, well, I do this for myself. Right. It's always like, well, we drop off this, you know, drop off this kid here. We drop off this kid here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband and I will do this or, and I'll, you know, go grocery shopping or, you know, all the things that we have to do in life. But so many people don't prioritize their own health and wellness. And that could be daily meditation. So just sleeping, making sure that you are getting the required sleep you need and hydration. And then also just giving yourself time. Maybe it's 20 minutes to work out. You can still accomplish a lot in 20 minutes. Maybe it's not going to be the Olympic weightlifting workout that you're going to just crush and get those like big PR goals. And, you know, you know, it's it's hard because a lot of the times on social media, everyone sees that and they're like, if I'm working out, I should be working out that capacity. So that's totally not obtainable. So I might as well not try instead of being like, how could I fit something into my life? That's going to give me that time to reflect that. Um, yeah, Mm. that, that, that it's, that you are worth that time to prioritize yourself. Mm. What do you do for your self care? I love running depending on, how my knee is feeling, um, but probably running and surfing are my two like favorite cardio and you know opportunities. Like if I'm running, I can just be listening to music and singing in my head, and I can just kind of like go, or I can change things up and be like, oh look, there's a stair set. I'll go do something weird and do some variations and kind of change it up. Or I'm out in the ocean. I'm floating in the water. I'm trying to chase down little corners and pop up on the surfboard and, and manage the crowd. It's always like mm-hmm. a little mini border cross out there. I was going to say, is it? do you find that there's actually a little bit of crossover? Absolutely. But what is it that surfing gives you that, that border cross doesn't? I would say just no impact for one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> falling in water is a lot nicer than falling on frozen <laughs> snow. Um but I also don't have the expectation mm-hmm. of winning. And it's easy when you're starting at that lower level and you see yourself improve those big steps. But like yourself in an athlete, when you are looking at that 1% and every day you are dissecting that 1% can drive you crazy and you don't always get it. And, and it can be just frustrating and infuriating at the time. And so with surfing, I don't have that expectation and I can't expect to be as you know, proficient in the water and, you know, uh, be able to chase down the corners or compete with all the pros that are at the break as well. So I take it for what it is. And I look around and I'm like, look how many more girls are out here than 10 years ago when I just started. And it's Mm -hmm. so nice. I can smile. They smile back where sometimes the guys are just totally focused on what they're doing. And it feels like a different community. And and I like that growth. And And when I'm home, it's really easy to get myself in a really healthy uh, eating habits. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to get the the local produ- produce and really be trying to eat as seasonal as possible. It's, mm-hmm. it's 
quite come sometimes can be impossible in California because you can get fruit and Everything vegetables all year anytime, round, right? When June comes around and those strawberries, are, I'm just like, just rise. Like I just, love peach season. <gasps> yes, that, and now <laughs> it's plum season, and yeah. it's going to be the uh, the the uh, apple season soon. So, trying to appreciate those different seasons as well is I I think is important. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned seasons. When I think about female training, I almost get like one of the things that I always talk about in here in Slay with our female clients is to get them to understand that the body's supposed to go through seasons. If you think about the way we compete when it comes mm -hmm. to track and field or, you know, Winter Olympics, we go through probably like three month cycles, three mm -hmm. or four month cycles. And each of those cycles are completely different. It mm -hmm. requires a different type of training, perhaps a different type of strength work, um, a different type of fueling. So that's really interesting. Um, that just kind of brought up this idea that I think as women, we really put this pressure on ourselves to um, be in shape mm -hmm. all year round. Yeah. And that's just simply to not what it is. always live hot girl summer lifestyle and yeah. it's just not possible. I'm like, when's hot girl summer going to become like, cute girl winter yeah, <laughs> you so know you what need, I mean you need to get into the snowboard season where we got you know more layers yeah you know we got we have the buffet bars when we're on tour <laughs> so you know and in my sport it is actually better if you add a little weight to yourself because we are a downhill sport absolutely sport. so I am usually heavier in the winter and then as I come around to spring I start to lean out and do heavy bouts of cardio. Mm -hmm. And then midsummer, I'm more into just deep strength training, hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. And then as fall comes around and we have a really good strength base, you start moving plyometrics and moving things yep. quickly. And that cycle just keeps continuing. Absolutely. I mean, I get really excited for when spring comes around. I, I, I want to feel lean, but th that's not always sustainable. So I think my body longevity wise has really come to adapt this cycle mm -hmm. and it also kind of works with the season as well. 100%. And I feel like uh, me personally, I still stay in that cycle now, even though I've retired and even though I'm not competing and um, trying to get, you know, uh, the general public to understand that girl, like we're not supposed to be snatched all year round. You know, if you have an aim or if you have a goal, focus on being the best you can be you know, for three months a year mm -hmm. and then understand that the next year is about how you regenerate, how you build more muscle mass, how you mm -hmm. build new muscle tissue. Because um, I think that there's this really unrealistic kind of expectation of us to just constantly be looking and feeling our best. And we've talked about this, you know, very briefly today um, that, you know, there's a lot of change going on in the world of fitness. And mm -hmm. I think that, um if I can say, I feel like we're almost going backwards mm. a little bit. If you think about the early 90s, um, you know, there was such a huge obsession with being skinny. I feel like that's really returned, um, you know, in the media very recently. Mm. Um, what would be your advice to women who are feeling the pressures of having to look or conform to a certain appearance or a certain look or that's, you know, currently prevalent? I would say for one... Be forgiving to yourself. And if this is something that is super important to you, let's set out a, a goal. Let's let's map it out on a calendar and let's let's 
market. Let's catalog it to see how we can build change. As an athlete, we have dietary structures. We have training structures in place because we want to peak at that exact moment. But that is not a sustainable moment, as you're saying. Like, we can't be our most, like, powerful, our strongest, our fastest, like, 12 months of the year. We are peaking to try to get that, like, window down to, like, 6 to 12 weeks so we can keep that bout going and competing and competing. And then we have to start from scratch and build all up again because if we keep skipping those steps, we'll find ourselves getting injured. Mm -hmm. So... What I've also noticed as I've become a more seasoned athlete Go on. and being <laughs> being female and looking into more of the women's fitness and understanding your cycle, mm -hmm. we also, there's so many women on birth control and that mm. it can be suppressing hormones that just changes the types of hormones that we're doing, dealing with. And actually in my 30s, did I start to see a huge change in my body mm. and how it was responding to those kind of types of hormones. Absolutely. And I actually came off the pill in my thirties. It actually just, yeah. it, it was kind of having very negative effects on me mm -hmm. and taking a break and, or trying other things was making me really have to step back and understand what was happening. In what my symptoms body. were you getting? I was just getting, a lot of breakthrough bleeding or highly emotional. Like I was mm -hmm. heading up to the mountain, getting ready to snowboard and just bursting into tears and mm -hmm. being with all the guys on my team. They're like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm really excited. We're going to have some powder. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to have so much fun. And I'm like, and they're like, why are you crying? I'm like, I honestly don't know. I'm just sitting there, but it felt good to cry. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, th I think women also in sports, we are trained to function almost like men. At least I was in how, how I kind of came up in my sport because it was very male dominated. And I felt like my body in its thirties were like, <laughs> you thought we were going to let you continue with this pattern. That's funny, Lindsay. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So over the last, I would say eight years, I started really looking into it. And probably even the most recently, within the last four years, did I start understanding like my cycle, not just like, oh, my cycle, my period, the actual full cycle and all the moments in between. Mm -hmm. And even just yesterday, I was like, gosh, I feel like sluggish. I, I feel like a little, you know, I just don't feel myself. I feel just like my clothes don't fit me right. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like my first reaction is like, oh my gosh, I'm gaining weight. Did I not eat right? What are like, I start to dissect that. And then I'm like, let me see where I am in my cycle for a second and mm -hmm. look and check in with that first and the symptoms that are usually associated with that. I'm like, okay, for one, all right. So I know that I'm in a, you know, a type of moment that, I'm not going to be feeling my best in that buildup. And I could recognize that. And then it's like, okay, another thing I could do to try to help improve my hormones is maybe do some meditation or make sure I'm drinking enough water and see if I feel better. And just that mm -hmm. and making sure I got enough sleep, mm -hmm. I woke up feeling a lot better today. And yeah. I'm feeling like, you know, in my own skin. But that happens, that happens like changes daily for Absolutely. women sometimes and it's it's kind of bs we got we got the short end of the stick <laughs> on that one like i mean 
men don't really understand. And I try, I try to like educate the younger guys on our team, like what women actually go through. And some are receptive and they're like, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't sound fun. I'm like, it's not, it's, it's not. not. And on so, top of that, I have to do the same work that you have to do. Exactly. And I'm expected to do, <laughs> yeah. to do the same and do it with a smile. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a great smile you have, Lindsay. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> Lindsay, I just want to say a massive thank you for slaying with us and remind us when um, the book is out, Unforgiving, and where can we find it? Unforgiving is coming out October 17th, but it is actually available for pre-order right now. You go to Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. Um, you can just definitely click the link on my uh, Instagram bio. There's a couple of links there or just search Unforgiving. It'll pop up on Amazon. We all love Amazon, so it pops up. <laughs> Pretty easy there. I love Amazon. Eric, not so much because his card's linked to the account. Um, but That's Lindsay, fair. That's why you really like it. You're like, no. Exactly. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you so, so much for coming on. Um, one last question. Will there be another Olympics for you? As of right now, it's not It's not a part of my journey. I don't want to say no, but it's it's... You know, uh, there's other things I want to explore and I feel like I have that fire and I want to see what momentum I get with this book and what opportunities, kind of like how I fell into NASM and what other opportunities we made. We made so many great connections with those wonderful people and, you know, who knows what lies next. I don't want to just limit myself to the snowboard industry. I'm still planning on competing this year and taking one year at a time and that's actually been my motto after every Olympics. I was not thinking it was ever doing five Olympics, by the way. I was like, you know, like, we'll see how it was. And then just time goes by so fast. So who knows? All of a sudden we'll be like, oh my gosh, there's another Olympics. And I'm still here. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if my body will hold up. For some reason, I'm not going to rule it out. Um, <laughs> but for now, um, for those of you who, you know, don't know the full story, want to know more about Lindsay and her story, make sure you head out and get your copy of Unforgiving. And I genuinely feel like this needs to be turned into like a Hollywood movie. Because for me, it's been amazing to watch you, amazing to be able to watch and understand as a friend um, just what a tough road it's been, but also what a freaking victory. <laughs> You know, I'm so, so happy it, for you. It, it felt pretty incredible when it happened. And I, I needed to actually do that big turn at the bottom just to kind of get away from everyone and not be immediately into the media pit because I kind of needed, needed to process what just happened. Guys, that concludes this episode of Say. Stay tuned for more empowering discussions on health and fitness. You can follow me at Louise Hazel. You can follow Lindsay at... Lindsay Jacob Ellis. And you can follow our Slay brand at Slay Athletic. If you haven't done so, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify. And if you want to join us and Slay at home, then you can download the Slay app for free and join our online community. Thank you so much for coming on, Lindsay. Thank you, Lou.